Would you just welcome my dad as he preaches a Christmas message today? Come on up. Thanks, Pastor. Pastor Richard. Yeah. It's so awesome to be introduced by my pastor who has, was my greatest disciple ever in the ministry. And uh, so it is such an honor to, for me to have um, the fruit of, of our uh, family, uh, fruit of our lives, uh, be called into the ministry and uh, to represent God in a very powerful and effective way and a uh, great church that Pastor Corey's building. Uh, I don't know why he uh, gave me this assignment to preach three times. Uh, you know, I don't do this that much anymore. And uh, so he, he gives me, uh, you know, when, when I, three times in one day, preaching the same service is real unusual for me. It never happened to me before. And uh, I have never preached off an iPad before. Because I have this other device, I got it 25 years ago, never been recharged yet. It's still full of power, and that's what I've been using. But uh, I'm conforming, and <laughs> I'm conforming, and I don't have the white shoes that is usually mandatory to get on the stage, or the or the pants with holes. I don't have them. I don't have them yet. So I'm gonna. I'll graduate. I'll get there. But you know, in my day, they used to say if uh, you know if somebody. Uh, was old and they repeated stuff three times that was sort of uh, you know go that goes with the the age Okay, because then you were old and senile Please don't call me old I'm Gonna repeat this three times. I love Preaching that's one of the most favorite things I've ever done. Thank you Sean and thank you to the to the music ministry um, you, The teachers you know, they're bringing inspiration and they're bringing us in here. No matter what stage we're in, they bring us up so that we can really receive the word of God. And that's really uh, important. Uh, over the years, you know, we, I, uh, by the way, you can't criticize what I say about my story because none of you was even born then. <laughs> so you've got nothing to say, right? Yeah. And everything you say, I'll just discount it. I loved, I always loved Christmas from when I was a little kid. Um, I go into houses sometimes now and uh, you see these trees and everybody wants to decorate and over-decorate and over-decorate the over-decoration because, you know, we've got kids and grandchildren and they all want to put their stuff on and, and some of this is, you know, personal stuff that they made for us and, and sometimes you come into a house I have in the past and you, you can't even see what's behind all that stuff. All the, all the lights and the, and the, the wrappings and the, uh, you know, streamers and decorations and all that stuff. And you can't even see what's back there. And I sometimes think that's how some of us have become. Where we don't see what's really inside anymore because we, all, we, we see what you portray on the outside. And uh, we want to become real people today. Just like we want to have a real tree in our house too. So I am so glad you're here this morning. It's pretty exciting to gather as a family, the family that was bought by this child who was born 2,000 years ago. Bought and paid for, fully paid for, bought with a price. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Christmas for me was always about family gatherings. You know, I love family gatherings. And, and uh, I, when, when I got a little older, you know, we used to, all my cousins used to come over. My dad's two brothers had... They had sons that were older, they were younger than me, but they were all bigger than me. So that was the time for me, the, the uh, Christmas day. Coming, coming to my house, they come, we go out to the slough, we 
cleared off some ice, we skate. And that's when I established my supremacy over my bigger cousins. Okay? Because, uh, and, and, you know, we made, we made, we didn't have hockey. You couldn't afford to buy hockey sticks. So we made hockey sticks. Went into the shop, got some hammers nailed and got some wood. And we made hockey sticks. And, of course, we couldn't afford pucks in those days either. And, and uh, at Christmas time, you know, you've got to have a hockey game with your cousins. So you never guess what we use for pucks. Horse turds. Frozen horse turds. They're the only thing we could raise. We couldn't raise a normal puck with our sticks because they were homemade sticks, you know, and you couldn't get under that puck. But these horse turds, you can raise them up. You hit, you hit a guy in the face, hit him in the eye, hit him in the eye, hit him in. If you get hit in the eye, this is the rule. You get hit in the eye, shed a few tears, and it'll all come out. And if you get hit in the mouth, spit a few times. Okay, we're not wearing masks. Just spit a few times, and the taste will go away. These were simple days. And I'm so appreciative that our pastor preached such great messages these past weeks on simple, simply Christmas. We had a very simple Christmas. We loved, we loved skating. You know, I was, I think I was in grade uh, three. I got my first pair of skates. I, I watched uh, people sometimes when I'd go to town, I'd watch them on the rinks and they skated and I said, I gotta have a pair of them. And so my parents got me a pair of skates. The first pair of skates I ever got was size five men's. <laughs> So we had lots of wool socks. We put wool socks in until it filled them up. And I would go out to the pond. It was not quite a half a kilometer from our house. I'd go to the pond in the morning, clear off a patch of ice with my dad's grain shovel. And, and then I'd walk back home and get the sweat out of my eyes. And I'd put on my skates in the house. And I'd walk across the field to the pond. And I'd skate all, as, as long as I could in the pond until the sun went down. And I'd walk home across the field with my skates on. Because it was so cold, you couldn't put them. It was minus 20 or minus 30. And so uh, that, was, that was Christmas season for me. It was fun. It was hockey, getting on those skates. Christmas is also a time for cards. My mom would take a buck and a quarter, and she'd go to a neighbor who was selling Christmas cards, and she'd buy 24 cards or so with a buck and a quarter. And she'd come home, and it was so exciting because we, we would... We would be able to put stamps on those cards. We'd lick those stamps so carefully. Some, some of them went upside down because we were pretty young. And, but it, it was King George's picture on the stamps. You guys never knew King George. I had a king. Canada had a king. You didn't know that, did you? Canada had a king at one time. Uh, we sang God Save the King in school. And we'd slap those stamps on there. There's no such thing as, as uh, airmail. You'd mail them and in November or so, beginning of November, they might get to the Christmas the next year. <laughs> we had high-speed mail at time, that time. Okay, We talk about mail now, and it's got to be instant. But we had mail then, too. But we loved those Christmas cards, and we got a lot of our doctrine off those Christmas cards, you know, because it was an artist concept, and you, you, get, you get Mary riding on a donkey, and, and uh, you get the three wise men with their slobbery old camels at the manger. And, you know, we were, my wife and I, we were in Israel one time. We got a ride on a camel. They're the filthiest thing. They snort, if they snort, they snort right in your face. And uh, I thought, in a, in a manger? And I thought, baby Jesus? In a, in a, in a stable. Now, stable is just the the girl word for barn, you know. I was raised on a farm, and we had a barn on the farm. We had cows in the barn, 
And all I could think about, I didn't never bought this Jesus in a stable. Never bought that at all from when I was a little kid. Because when I went into the barn, there were three things. Cows, hay, and poop. <laughs> and I know that Jesus was not born in that kind of a situation. <laughs> so I had to reevaluate. I had to go back to the scriptures. And after many years, I found, I felt some maybe better explanations of where Jesus was born. So anyway, today, I am glad we're here uh, celebrating this Christmas time. We've had our cards. We've had our gifts. We've have, had our gift wrapping and, and singing. I love singing. Uh, whenever, since, ever, since I was a small kid, I loved singing. And so that was a very special time. Today, my text for this message is the foolishness of God. Because the foolish, 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The very lowest God ever gets. His poorest day, his sleepiest moment, is wiser than men. Men can, with all their ingenuity and all their creativity and all their experience and all their inventions and all their education, the best man has ever been able to do collectively gets him about this high. This is the level of man's best. But the very worst of God, on a day off, God is like way up here someplace up here so the least God is is far more than the best man will ever be and when he amen when he sent when he sent his son that was the, that was just the least he could do for us but it was so great it was so powerful what he did for us and the same passage said the weakness of God is stronger than men in his very worst moment, thank you, Pastor. In his very worst moment, God is far superior in strength than men. Never be afraid that you run out of power with God. Stick close to him. You'll have plenty of power. Because the best we can do is far inferior to the, the worst he can do. That's my God. That's our Father. My first recollection of God when I was a very young kid, I was probably about five we uh went to we went to church on new year's eve and uh the wind started blowing that night we started to have a huge storm on new year's eve and it blew for three or four days some days when my dad went to the barn in the middle of the day he had to be careful he didn't get lost going to the barn it was only a couple of hundred meters that's how what kind of a storm we had there was a drift that was so big that it was it right uh, like there was a bush beside our house and it came over the bush and dropped the snow right there. The drift, that dune was much higher than our house was. It was huge. And uh, I used to play up on top of that dune. It was minus 30, minus 40. My, my mom never said, wear your mask. She said, put a scarf on. <laughs> and if you don't wear it, you'll get frostbite. You'll learn to wear it. That's all she ever said. But that was such a, a major storm. I used to play on top of there with my toy tractor. My dad had made a snow plow for me. And I was up there. And I was roaring away all day long. <laughs> that was the day when we began to understand what isolation was. You know, today, in, in, this, in this year, we have sort of felt somewhat isolated. We've been quarantined. But God put a quarantine on us that year that I'll never forget. And I was only very young at that time. We never got out from New Year's Eve till Christmas Sunday. We never left that farm. Till, till Easter Sunday. What did I say? Yeah, oh, thank you. Till Easter Sunday. New Year's Eve, 
till, till Easter Sunday, three months, we were there alone. We think we're isolated here. You can get in your car and go wherever you want. You go to the store and buy what you want. You get on your phone, you can talk to 50 people a day. You get messages incoming and outgoing all the time. I mean, you, it's confusing. It's like that Christmas tree that is over-decorated. And we say we're quarantined. We don't even know what quarantine is, my friends. Quarantine for us was we never had a telephone. We had no TV. We had no, there was no such thing as internet in that day. In fact, there was no such thing as TV in that day. And by the way, um, you weren't even born then, so I can tell you all I want. I can tell you all the lies I want. You can't refute them. Okay, we were really isolated. The only time we got, we got um, information through in that day is by person, real person. Okay, so in that day, I had a sister who was epileptic. She would have three or four, five seizures a day, and my mom would hold her. And, you know, we didn't know what to do about it. Couldn't get her any medical help in that for three months, isolated for three months with no outside influence at all. The only one we had to turn to was God. So for 10 days, my mom never went to bed. But she nursed my sister, who was continually having seizures. And then, eventually, toward the end of that period of time, she got pneumonia. And that was when I began to really experience the love and compassion of the Lord. As my mom took care of my sister, and she nursed her, and she committed to her. That is God's power. That's the kind of God power we have coming toward us right now in our need. In the time when we're not doing well, we're having seizures. And God is taking care of us. And in those days, you know, we didn't have any roads in those days. There, my dad just got his first truck in 1950. And till then, they were farming with horses. And so horse, the horse was the way to go. We never got to town in, for three months except my dad took the saddle horse and went to town seven miles across the field. And so anyway, here's my mom and my sister. They were really struggling. And so my dad dug around in the snow and he found some big planks. And he made a big V snowplow. He built that. It took him a couple of days to build that just to find the materials to put it together. And he built that snowplow. And then he hooked five big, his strongest horses in front of that snowplow. And plowed three miles across the fields. Cut the fences and went across the fields to our nearest neighbor three miles so that he could... And, and, and it took him all day to get there and back to plow that snow. And, uh, and then he would take the truck and he took my mom to the neighbors who had a way out to get to the hospital and took my sister to the hospital. That's isolation. That's, those are the days when we really got to know God, even at a very young age. And I saw the, the commitment to my, of my dad to, to make a way. God can make a way where there's no way. It didn't seem like it was, it was hopeless. You couldn't get out. But my dad found a way. And I think God gave him the way. God will find a way for us when we are subject to those storms and when we're subject to isolation. That was my first experience with quarantine. But, you know, we don't want to stay there. Don't feel sorry for me about having those kind of times. You know, uh, I've often heard, heard Christians over the years uh, you know, they feel so sorry for people in uh, oppressed countries. You get persecuted for being Christian. You get tortured. Some people get put to death. And, and we feel so sorry for them. They feel sorry for us because we have all this affluence. And we're lured into 
into giving up so easily when it comes to serving Christ. They feel sorry for us. They're persecuted. They're strong because God is with them. That's this God who came down from heaven one day. In later years, we moved. My dad built a house. We moved and uh, they improved the roads. We had the school bus coming by our place. That was a total miracle for us in those days that we'd have the school bus. And uh, Christmas changed for us. We got a Christmas tree. Wow. <laughs> Christmas tree. We never had lights. There was no, we didn't have electricity in those days. No lights. But we hung a few ornaments on them here and there. And we didn't know what gift wrapping was. But we found gift wrap. And they start, we start wrapping gifts. And, and we got real modern in those days. I think I was about grade four at that time. And at that time, the, um, the, new, something came out that really was a blessing to us. It was called a Sears Christmas catalog. It came out end of October. And we looked at that thing and we would pour through it. We knew it, it was on every page. But there were certain pages that I loved so much. It was the page where all the guns were. The six guns. I love six guns. I followed the Lone Ranger, who you don't even know who that is. He's the masked man. See, you're all... You're to, he was the masked man. He saved the world. He saved every, everybody who was in a bad situation. He saved them. I was going to be the Lone Ranger. And I wanted some of those guns. And I showed my mom which page it was on. And I said, when you get them, make sure you get some of those caps. They were in rolls like that big. And you take... They were about 50 in a roll. And you'd load them into that gun, six gun. And man, you could fire them off. And you'd be smelling smoke. I tell you, I love those guns. And I made sure my mom knew exactly where it was. And when she sent her order to Sears, a couple of weeks later, the order came. She took it in the bedroom, wouldn't let us see. And, and uh, I was sure she must have remembered. She put them up on the highest closet shelf where nobody could reach it. And about the first week when my mom and dad went someplace, I got up there, put stools on stools and got up there, got that package down. I think that looks like... Uh, would hold two six guns with holsters. And so I took it and unwrapped it because tape didn't stick too well in those days. You know, now when it's stuck, it's stuck and you rip it and you rip the paper. But I, I took that paper off that and I pulled those six guns out and I put them on and it fit just right. I adjusted it, fit just right. And I tried a couple of shots and they were working fine. And I, I loaded that, those guns, put them back in there, wrapped it all up. My mom never even knew. And the next week, we get a few weeks before Christmas. The next week, I'd, they'd be gone for a day, and I'd, I'd go there, and I'd take them down again and have a look, just in case something changed. I did that about three or four times, wrapped them up. I'm a good gift wrapper. I wrapped them up so nice and neat, so when it came time to put them under the tree just before Christmas, nobody even knew, except me and a couple of my siblings, because they were the subject of practice. We had a good time getting prepared for Christmas. But the big, the highlight of our Christmas was New, uh, Christmas Eve. We'd go to church. Our church would hold maybe 250 people. And we were social distancing at that time too. We'd get at least 300 in. Uh, and that was normal for, for Christmas Eve. Because everybody come from every place. And that was the highlight of the year. There would be so many people and we'd get a gift bag. We'd get candy and in a bag and, a, and an orange and stuff like that. And and uh, we'd, you'd only get them after the service because they knew we'd be into them if, if they'd given before. 
But I, that, I put pressure on my dad that day. Let's get those cows milked early. Let's get the chores done. And let's get over to church because uh, there's a place for me by the tree. I got to be by the tree. Me and a few of my buddies, we get over to the tree. And we, we'd sit there by the tree. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and we'd start to tinker with all the... we never seen lights before on a tree. And we'd play with the lights and we'd adjust them. And we'd put this ornament over here and this one over here. We had a great time. And just change some of the, the tinsel and stuff, you know. And, and the, the, the elders who were sitting in the front row next to where the boys sat, next to where the tree was, the elders, they would be glaring at us. Every time we'd change a light bulb, you know, I want green, I want red. We'd be talking, you know, in the, in the service. And they'd be glaring at us. And then I remember this one old elder, such a clear picture. He, 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 he couldn't stare us down with his eyes. We just grin at him, you know. I was a brat. And we just grin at him. You can't reach me here. You, know, you stay in your pew, man. So they, they'd get out their long finger and they'd, start, they'd point that finger at you. Like, I'm going to get you. And uh, this is what I was thinking in my mind at that time. If you knew what was under my tree... And if my dad would let me bring that, wear them to church next Sunday, man, you would never point that finger at me again. <laughs> I was a minor Christian in those days. We loved, we loved those days and we had so much fun. We come home, but dad, my dad did his shopping, Christmas shopping. He was a great shopper. Christmas shopping, 9, 9 p.m., Christmas Eve, after we got home from church, he'd have, my mom would have so many envelopes. We had a lot of kids in our family. So many envelopes, put them on the table, and my dad would pull out his wallet, and he'd put in some money into each envelope, according to your age. You know, and I was the oldest boy, so, and I did most of the work around, the, around there, around the barn. And so, I'd, sometimes I'd get a $20 bill. I'll tell you, $20 then was like 1000 now. How would your kids feel? You know, preteen, grade four or so, grade five, that they get a thousand dollar in an envelope. See, my dad knew how to shop. He got the affection of all of us that night. And we'd look at the Christmas cards. We'd have them all. We never had decorations in our house except a string with Christmas cards on them. And that's where we developed all our doctrine. We had, we had all these pictures on these Christmas cards and that became doctrine to us. Because that's all we knew. Besides, you know, the stuff we learned at church. But these, these things took precedence at this time. The pictures on the cards. Anyway, Christmas was a great time for us. Dad's Christmas shopping. Developing doctrine. You know, God himself is ruled by the order, by, by what his word says. He is ruled by it. So from creation, he made, established rules for himself. And he had to abide by those rules. After he created Adam and Eve, perfect man, perfect woman, he never again created a person as, as an adult. They had to be born of a woman. That was the law, God's law. Anybody who's born on this earth has to be born of a woman. So when he designed to have his son born on earth, he couldn't just, he couldn't just um, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, create a man, create a Jesus man to go to the Jesus cross Crucified by Adam and Eve because they're the only people who were there. He couldn't do that. He had to have a, a son that was born of a woman. And, and uh, that's a very powerful concept. 
Um, why didn't he deal with sin immediately in the garden? Because he had to abide by his law. And it was many, it was thousands of years later that the fullness of time came when God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Because that's the way he, he ordained it. So he is ruled by his plans and his principles and his morality. He spoke 700 years before, before Christ was born on this earth. He already spoke to the prophets to advise his people of what was going to happen 700 years later. And all the prophets, had, they were, they were uh, consistent in the timing. Because, well, if it's God speaking, he's got to be consistent with himself. In, in the uh, book of Micah, the prophet Micah, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, says, You Bethlehem, Ephrathah, although you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. He already spoke to the prophet. That in Bethlehem, there's going to be a ruler that's going to be birthed, that's going to come forth. Then in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Notice it says a child is born, a son is given. The prophetic word came as if it was already, already happening, but in the fullness of time, it came to fruition. That's how it works. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in Micah 4, verse 8, it says, And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So God had already established 700 years before where Christ was going to be born in the city of Bethlehem. And, and in, in Bethlehem, an interesting thing, in Bethlehem, the shepherds had built a tower, or somebody had built a tower, where the shepherds would take refuge in, in case of uh, wild beasts or marauders, because the shepherds in that area, in the area of Bethlehem, out in the hills, they raised uh, sheep out in the hills. They never brought them into the, uh, into the fold at night, because these special, uh, specially trained shepherds with special flocks only raised sheep so that the lambs that would be born would be temple sacrificed, probably in Jerusalem. And so there was, a, there was a tower built there for safety. And near the tower, there's a place called Migdal Adar at Bethlehem, near the fields where the flocks were kept for producing sacrificial lambs. Migdal Adar was the animal hospital. Let's say it's a veterinarian clinic, a hospital where the lambs were born and protected by swaddling cloths. This is, there's only two times in the Bible that it mentions swaddling cloths. Here, okay, in Migdal Adar, where the, where, the, where the sheep were covered with swaddling cloths. When they were born, they were immediately protected because a, a sacrificial lamb had to be spotless, pure, unblemished. It had to be whole. And so they would wrap them in cloths to protect them. And once they were healthy, then they would go back out into the field. And there are... It's indicated by the historians that there are literally tens of thousands of sheep in those fields that were taken care of 24-7 so that the lambs could, could the ewes could be brought in, lambs would be ready so that when people go to the, the, uh, the temple in Jerusalem, they'd have all the sacrificial lambs that they would need. Many, many sacrificial lambs. So uh, the question I ask, if God, in his wisdom, he prophesied... Where, where uh, uh, Jesus was going to be born, would, where do you think he would send him to be born? 
Do you think that they missed the, the, their appointment or they missed a place to stay in the inn? You know, uh, Bethlehem was a very small place, maybe three or four, five hundred people, just a village. And they may have probably one guest house in all of Bethlehem where, who, who knows, eight or ten rooms. Just think about, bring yourself back there and think about it. Because in that culture, when people would travel, they would go someplace uh, and, and, and in the, in the uh, journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they'd travel a day and then they would, then they would stay with somebody and then they'd travel a day and they'd stay with somebody and, and until they got to the uh, Holiday Inn in Bethlehem, you know, with three rooms or whatever. So that, that's how, you know, when we think of Mary traveling on her donkey, um, let me put this to the pregnant women here. How would you like to, how would you like to ride on a donkey when you're nine months pregnant? They go, very comforting, right? Even to think about it. And then the donkey would stumble. Can you imagine Mary and her donkey, donkey stumbles, her water breaks, the donkey gets a bath, and you're looking for Dr. Paul to deliver a baby by the roadside. Come on. I think as a healthy young woman, maybe 16 or 17 years old, I kind of think that they would have walked because 150 kilometers, that's about all it was. You could walk that. If you do 10 or 15 kilometers a day, it's only 10 days. Um, and a young, strong woman, pregnant, you can walk 20 Ks a day, I'm sure. Right? With the help of God. So, you know, I, th I like to think of Christmas as being real. Power of God coming to us through real situations in his timing as he pleases because God is God let me tell you let me tell you a little story I want to tell us tell you a story about angels God is in heaven he's sitting on his throne he's all-powerful there are millions of angels around him ready to serve him worshiping and he catches one guy's eye I don't know if angels are guys or girls but he catches one angel's eye and he calls him over how you doing I'm doing fine got an assignment for you thank you lord ready to serve uh down in in on the earth in a in a in an area uh, a country called israel there's a city called jerusalem and my people live there <clears throat> my king is is ruling them there and my prophets are prophesying there they're coming under attack by the assyrians and they want to kill the people they want to depose the king and they do not want to listen to the prophets go down there take care of business the angel says, okay, on my way, Lord. And he goes down there. Let me read out of 2 Kings chapter, 20, chapter 19, verse 35, what happened. It says, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. One angel did all his work. Before daybreak, he was back in heaven. All done, Lord. Good job. Good job. That's the <clears throat> power of an angel. 700 years go by. Angels in heaven. He goes by the throne. God calls him over. Come on over here. Got a little job for you. Oh, good. I'd like to go down there and kill about another 185,000. <laughs> that was a little job. Got a big job for you. Bigger job for you. Uh, I want you to go talk to this woman. There's just this woman, about maybe 16, 17 years old, this pretty woman. I want you to go talk to her and Angel says, by myself? No backup? A woman? You can handle it. 
So go down there, and this is the note. You give her, you, this is the message. Read it off the note so you don't make a mistake. You're highly favored. You're chosen by God. He's got a special assignment for you. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to have a baby. She's, what? A baby. Yes. His name is going to be called, I don't know if she told him the name, because Joseph had to name the baby. But it's going to be a, a supernatural child that you're going to have. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to have a baby. Yes, Lord. Let it be according to your will. Let it be done unto me. That's the permission slip. The angel came back to heaven with, gave it to God. You now have permission to do what you want to do. Because we have to get permission from the woman who he's going to use. You can't just arbitrarily do anything. Okay, God follows his orders. So a few weeks later, at the fullness of time, that's when the woman is in the right cycle of her month. Because you can't just have a baby start at any time you want. Because God has ordained it differently. Okay, it has to be at the right time of the month when there's an egg that's ready to be uh, connected with. So she's doing dishes one day and she feels something in here. It's the Holy Spirit in there. And he's making a connection with this egg that's ready to be fertilized. He says, hi, you want to dance? And the baby's conceived. That moment within Mary. The work, the whole, the angel went back to heaven. It's all done, Lord. I survived this one. All by myself, I did it. The Holy Spirit came. Mary conceives in her womb. Back in the, back in the throne room of God, the angel summoned again. Got a job for you. Big job or little job? Uh, this, not, it's a fairly big job. You'll need a lot of backup for this one. And so I'm going to send uh, all of a sudden back. How much you need? Well, I need quite a bit of backup if, if, if it's a big job. Just make an announcement to some shepherds in the field. And in, in that area of Bethlehem, just go out to the field. Just, just be, you present yourself in the sky and just make an announcement. But I'll send you backup. Maybe, what do you need? Two, three million? This is what the Bible says. The angel came to be angel was summoned to come and to go and give the news this is what the angel said when he presented himself to the shepherds in the field do not be afraid for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be the sign to you you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths there's that word the same swaddling cloths you shall find a babe Wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. That word manger translated means stall or crib. That's what it could mean. Suddenly there was a, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. How would that shatter your peace? When if there's two or three million angels suddenly declaring, and I don't think they have quiet voices, loud voices. Okay, my concept of choir was 20 or 30 in the church or maybe 40 at Christmas time. But here there, there was a multitude because this is the greatest event that ever happened on this planet. Glory to God in the highest. And then they left. The angels went back to heaven. They, and, and the choir went back to heaven. And what did the shepherds do? The Bible said they went to town. 
they got on their GPS and they punched in Jesus the baby and it took them right to where he was see that's what we would like in this day but all they did is follow the advice of the angel you shall find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths where do you think they went the place where there were swaddling cloths and sheep were wrapped in swaddling cloths think about that that's where they went that was their assignment we would have done it all together differently but God does things his way because he has the power and he has the wisdom this Christmas let's do things his way let's count on his power let's trust him he will empower us to do everything that that he requires of us he will he will help us to do it so listen to him this Christmas forget the trappings and let him come and be supreme in your life let's pray father with that want to thank you today for your goodness how you loved us Lord and how patient you were to wait 4,000 years for the fullness of time that you sent forth your son thank you father let this be the greatest Christmas we have ever had thank you for your great love and for your precious son in Jesus name we thank you amen